The psalmist proclaims, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. Grace, mercy, and peace to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, welcome to worship at Bryn Mawr Presbyterian Church. We gather this morning in person and online with grateful hearts to praise our risen Lord. As we begin, I draw your attention to the bulletin where you will find a full list of upcoming programs and events. I encourage you to read through the various offerings and sign up for an opportunity that speaks to you. One opportunity to highlight is the Build Day with Habitat for Humanity that will take place two weeks from today on Sunday, October 3rd at 4 p.m. on the front lawn. This hands-on afternoon of service will be an opportunity to pitch in with Habitat to help build step stools and to learn how they have been impacted by the pandemic. The information to register can be found in your bulletin. You are encouraged to submit your recommendations for church officers through the end of this month. You can nominate elders, deacons, trustees, and nominating committee members at large via a paper nominating form, which can be found in the narthex, or by following the link to the online form in your bulletin. One of the gifts of this church community is that there are so many opportunities to live out our faith. Even still, as we come together in worship, we give thanks that God welcomes us just as we are and delights in our communal praise. Would you please stand as you are able and join in our responsive call to worship printed in your bulletin. We come to worship in our need and bringing with us the needs of the world. We come to God who has come to us in Jesus and who walks with us the road of the world's suffering. We come with our faith and with our doubts. We come with our hopes and with our fears. We come as we are because it is God who invites us, and God has promised never to turn us away.
Please be seated. God will not count our trespasses against us, longing instead for us to be reconciled. We come before God then in honesty, humility, and hope as we confess our sins together using the printed prayer of confession. Merciful God, in calling us into covenant relationship, you promise forgiveness and new life, making us part of the body of Christ. We confess that we sometimes doubt your presence through the ups and downs of life. Putting our trust in lesser things, we are reluctant to live fully into our faith, and we allow the past to hold us hostage to old regrets. In your loving kindness, have mercy on us. Free us from sin and restore us to have hope in the future. Remind us of the promises you make to draw near to us in all the seasons of life that we may live together in grace. Amen. Friends in Christ, God's grace and mercy are never ending. God loves us, forgives us, and frees us from our sins. Therefore, be at peace and love with boldness and generosity. Lord be with you. With you. Now I have some third grade friends with me today, and I'm going to ask my third graders especially to look way up to the top of the church. Anyone else who would like to can do the same. Do you see those beams running across the very top? Do you think those beams help the church stay strong? so the roof doesn't fall down and the building stands. Now from way down here, it's hard to read what's written on the gold in the middle of each of those beams. It's hard, you might have to squint to see. On those beams are the books of the Bible. Hmm. I wonder when they were designing the church why they would put the books of the Bible 
way up there. I wonder if maybe it's because those books help keep the church strong. If the stories and the words inside them are like beams that help us know more about God and each other. Now today is a special day because today is the day that the church says you are ready to have a Bible of your own, a Bible that you get to read, and you get to mark, and you get to study, a Bible that will make you ask questions, hard questions about who God is and who God wants you to be. We know that each one of you, that you are ready to have these Bibles and to use them. So we are going to present them to you. Now, I can imagine that there are people here in the congregation today who can remember when they were in third grade and received their Bibles. And maybe you can help remind them today what a special gift that is. I am honored to be helped today by my colleagues, but also by one of our elders, Jack Stevens, representing the session, and by Seth Padot, representing the Children and Family Ministries Council. Scripture is a gift. It tells us the story of God's love. It shows us the love poured out in Jesus Christ. It teaches us that God's love is present with us in the Spirit. The Bible connects us to one, to one another. It is a gift to be used and studied. It is a gift to be shared with others. As children in the church, we receive a Bible in third grade. These Bibles are a tool that will help us learn and more, that will help us learn more about our faith and how to follow God. We know that our third graders are ready to tend to this gift and grow in God's world. Before we present you with your Bibles, I have a few questions to ask you third graders, so I'm going to ask you to stand up so that you can use your loud voices to answer these questions. Are you ready? Do you promise to read your Bibles? Do you? They are impressed by your answer. Do you promise to ask questions and learn more about the story of God's people and God's love? Do you? Yes. yes. Do you promise to share what you learn with others and with this congregation? Do you? Yes. As a congregation, do we promise to learn from our third graders and join them in study and reading? If you do, let us say, we do together. We do. do. These Bibles are given in memory of Catherine Miller. She believed, and we as a congregation know, that every child should read and understand the story of God's people, God's love, and God's promises. We pray that these Bibles will be a tool to each of you as you grow in faith and are formed by God's Word. Emma Armstrong. And Emma, Emma, you're going to go stand right 
Luke Craig Aronchick. Morgan Ann Gunther. Jackson Davis Jones. Everly Claire Knox. Connor Paul McKay. Shane Everett McCann. Evelyn Montgomery McAvoy. Greer Catherine McMahon. Benjamin Mark Pideau. Avery Elizabeth Stoy. Now, friends, the first thing we do before we read the Bible is we ask for, God, we ask for God's help in understanding. So I'm going to ask the whole congregation to join us today as we say a special prayer for illumination as you start to read your Bibles. So would you repeat after me? Dear God, dear God, guide us, guide us. Help our reading, help our reading, help our understanding, help our understanding. Help us use these Bibles, help us use these Bibles to learn more about your love, to learn more about your love and share it with others and share it with others. Be with us this week. Be with us this week. And keep us safe. And keep us safe. And all together we say, Amen. Our first lesson comes from the book of Genesis. Hear now the word of God. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight 
and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate.
picking up in Genesis where we left off. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in Her hand and had fled outside. She called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me. He became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At first glance, this episode in the Joseph saga sounds more like a soap opera than a Bible story. It has all the ingredients of a trailer for a top ten Netflix production. Not only handsome, we are told, Joseph is also good-looking, whatever handsome plus good-looking means. Easy on the eyes, the young man from a foreign country enters the home of a bored and seductive housewife, so tight-cast we do not even need to know her name. 
She quickly turns temptress and makes every effort to seduce her husband's number one servant. When her scheme fails, because Joseph appeals to his loyalty, not only to his master, but also to his God, she turns on him with guile and bitter betrayal. She denigrates him, and while she's at it, hurls a racist slur, disparaging her husband for bringing a Hebrew into the house, and then blaming the Hebrew for doing what she actually did to him. The enslaved Joseph, despite obeying every order, except for acquiescing to Mrs. Potiphar's desire, ends up being sexually harassed, deceived, lied about, and thrown into prison. This is the days of our lives, desperate housewives, and the Shawshank redemption rolled into one. Biblical scholar Kathleen O'Connor points out that every time the narrator makes note of Joseph changing clothes, we see a sweeping change in his status. In last week's story, his father Jacob's gift of the coat with long sleeves bestowed upon Joseph favorite son status. That same coat was returned to Jacob covered in a wild animal's blood to belie his brother's hatred and their treacherous act of selling him into slavery. Today we see Joseph's top overseer's outfit is dangling over the fingertips of Mrs. Potiphar dripping with her deceit and manipulation. And when Potiphar throws him into prison, we see how Joseph comes to wear the stripes of prison bars. This episode does sound like an unseemly Hollywood plot we may have watched unfold on the big screen. But of course, there is always more in a biblical tale than meets the eye. When Bill Moyers assembled some of the best interfaith biblical scholars for a televised conversation about the book of Genesis, he introduced the discussion of Joseph saying, we learn in life that most blessings are mixed blessings. Joseph, who is precocious, learns it early. He is blessed with the gifts of reading dreams, physical beauty, and his father's love. But these very gifts cause his downfall, and he winds up in slavery and exile. But far from home, he is never far from his roots. This is the story of Genesis from beginning to end. In the book of Genesis, sometimes God is clearly audible, speaking creation into being in the first chapter of Genesis. 
later calling characters like Abraham and Sarah to leave their homeland so that their descendants will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Sometimes God is clearly tangible, if not visible, as when wrestling with Jacob through the night. But in the the Joseph story, God is never seen or heard in such a dramatic fashion. Here we just might find a story more akin to our own experiences of God where God is ever in the background, neither seen nor heard, but always in the background. As the story unfolds, we have no indication that Joseph even knows that. But the narrator keeps letting us know that God is there. As a reminder from last week's introduction to this sermon series, this story is what we would call today trauma-informed literature. The Joseph saga is intended to mirror the suffering of God's historic people in the 6th century before Christ. Conquered by the Babylonians, the people of ancient Israel and Judah underwent varying degrees of dislocation and loss as exiles under the oppression and abuse of the conquering nation. Some exiles, like Joseph at times, did prosper, as with many a refugee and immigrant today. But the Babylonian exile decimated the nation as a whole and rendered its future profoundly uncertain. The Joseph narrative was written during the Persian Empire after they defeated the Babylonians five decades later and the Persians allowed the exiles to return to Judah. So you see, Joseph is both an historic figure in the lineage of Abraham and Sarah as well as a stand-in, narratively speaking, for a whole people who had endured catastrophe, cruel oppression, and extreme suffering. Joseph becomes a survivor, trying and trying and trying to begin again. As traumatic-informed literature, this text is intended to help those who have suffered unspeakable violence, isolation, and dislocation. It serves as a screen upon which to project their experiences in order to process them and thereby begin to heal. So Joseph's forced departure from his homeland when his own brothers sold him into slavery and sent him down into Egypt helps us understand 
some of the vestiges of colonialism and slavery and how systemic racism gets seeded and takes root in a culture. Joseph's enslavement also speaks to the crisis of modern-day slavery. In our world today, it is estimated that 20 to 30 million people are enslaved. One in four are children enslaved by forced labor, sex trafficking, and other forms of servitude where they have no control. Joseph's sexual harassment at Mrs. Potiphar's hand can be something of a mirror for those brave American Olympic gymnasts who had to retell and relive their abuse before that congressional committee this week. Joseph's imprisonment mirrors countless prisoners falsely accused with whom the Innocence Project works, for example, and who will languish for long years behind bars because somebody lied. And people in power became convinced by the lie. And justice was not served. The Bible also invites us into this text in order to see incidences of our own trauma, our own isolation, our own feelings of displacement projected upon another's story where the narrator tells it like it is. And telling us something the characters cannot yet see, the narrator also reminds us of a hidden holy presence that only the narrator can see. While Joseph is taken into slavery, is elevated to a position of authority within Potiphar's house, is betrayed by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison, we are repeatedly assured the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. The Lord caused all to prosper in his hands. In prison, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. The Lord gave him favor. The Lord was with him. The Lord made him prosper, even in prison. Again, it is always the narrator who tells us this, and we are never told whether Joseph himself is aware of the near presence of the Lord. As Kathleen O'Connor reminds us, God remains largely in the background of these mysterious and fraught events. There are no epiphanies 
no appearances of the angel of the Lord, no reports of visions. Divine involvement is implied by dreams. But the story's focus rests on human happenings that suggest divine intentions behind the scenes that humans later discover to have involved God all along. God is hidden, but God is never absent. Isn't that how it is with us much of the time? We wonder where God might be in this or that circumstance. But then a story breaks through and reminds us, oh yeah, God was there. Even when I didn't see it. Even when I couldn't tell. Cleo LaRue was a Baptist minister long before becoming a professor at Princeton Seminary. He tells a story from early in his ministry writing, As a young 20-year-old pastor in my first church in Texas, I remember a family caught in a season of sustained adversity. A distraught mother trying to hold her family together lay desperately ill in the hospital after a bad car accident. Her husband was unemployed. Her son was in jail. Her daughter was pregnant out of wedlock. And her creditors were calling the hospital demanding that she pay something on her overdue accounts. Dr. LaRue says he went to visit her in the hospital room early one morning and After a brief greeting, she closed her eyes and stretched out her hands toward me for a word of prayer. At that point, he says, I thought I should do something more than merely pray for her. I thought it was my place to give her some sound spiritual advice about her life. So I said to her, Moselle, I'm not going to ask God to move your mountain. I'm just going to ask God to give you the strength to climb. Then, he says, this very sick woman immediately put her hands down, opened her eyes. Wait a minute, little preacher, she said. Don't you tie God's hands this morning. If God wants to move my mountain, you let him. I'm not trying to climb over a mountain. I'm trying to get out from under one. In the midst of great adversity, That woman knew better than that young preacher himself that God is always in the background. God is always aware of our need, our predicament, our suffering. 
Over the last year and a half, I imagine more than a few of us have have wondered, how are we going to get out from under this mountain of adversity, the illness? Now in our country, one in 500 dead from COVID. The violence, the inescapable violence in our city streets that is getting worse and worse. The gridlock in Washington paralyzed by self-righteous platforms and constituent appeasement while forsaking work for the common good. The inequities and injustices we see everywhere as well as the personal losses amid isolation and grief and uncertainty. But friends, far be it from us to assume what God will and will not do in the midst of this mess. Remember Joseph under a mountain of adversity, as a victim of treachery and hatred, enslavement and injustice. Of Joseph, we are told, the Lord was with him in the pit in Potiphar's house and in prison. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. The Lord gave him favor. The Lord was with him. God is always in the background. God is always in the background for us. Amen.
Friends, having heard the word of the Lord read and proclaimed, let us remain standing and declare together what it is we believe. My soul, praise the Lord. As long as I live, I shall praise the Lord. I shall sing songs to God all my life long. Put no trust in princes or in any mortal, for they have no power to save. Happy is the one whose helper is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them who maintains faithfulness forever and deals out justice to the oppressed. The Lord feeds the hungry and sets the prisoner free. The Lord restores sight to the blind and raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous and protects the stranger in the land. The Lord gives support to the orphaned and the widow, but thwarts the course of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever, our God for all generations. You may be seated. As we come together as a community in prayer for ourselves, for those we love, and the world, We are especially mindful of the families of Richard Schneider, who died on September 4th, and Peggy Rogers, who died on the 10th. The service to give thanks for Peggy's life will take place on Wednesday, September 29th at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. As always, we hold on to the truth that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, like the very air we breathe, you are always with us, sometimes stirring, sometimes still. Stir in us now. Breathe into your very body, the church, and awaken in us hearts of compassion as we bring our prayers into the midst of this community. O God, may our hearts break for this broken world, forests stripped bare and ground cracked open by human greed. May we be your healing and restoring hands. Holy Spirit, hear our prayer. O God, may our spirits sigh for those who wander, displaced from their homes by famine, by fire, and by war. May we be your voice to bid them welcome. Holy Spirit, hear our prayer. O God, may our souls shake for those lost in the wilderness of anxiety, depression, and grief. May we be the arms of your warm embrace. Holy Spirit, hear our prayer. O God, may our very beings tremble at your scattered family torn asunder by hatred, by racism, and bigotry. May we be your feet, bringing the good news of justice and peace. Holy Spirit, hear our prayer. 
O God, may our arms reach out in care and compassion for those who are ill and those who are recovering in these days. May we be a balm of healing in a hurting world. Holy Spirit, hear our prayer. O God, may our hearts and minds be ever focused on the children and youth of our church and of the larger community and of the world. May we be a home and a place of welcome for them in this season of difficult choices and ongoing restrictions. Holy Spirit, hear our prayer. God, we are your people. You formed us and made us. We cannot do your work apart from each other. By the shaping of your Holy Spirit, make us into the people you have called us to be in this place and for this world. We make all of these prayers in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us when praying to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm delighted to be able to invite Phoebe Sheftel to come forward and give us a good word about the upcoming Peace and Global Witness offering. A former moderator of the General Assembly, Albert Curry Wynn, once said, the abolition of war will not take place next Tuesday. It may be a long time coming with many false steps and turnings along the way. As resident aliens, we have little clout for bringing it about. No campaign plans, no carefully honed set of objectives, and no timetable. How shall we live in the meantime? How often have you heard people respond to overwhelming situations by saying, how can one person make a difference in the face of such problems? What can I do? My hands are tied. Look above me. There is an image of one man with his hands tied. Did he do anything you can do? He wasn't bogged down with complex policy deliberations. He didn't have to move immense machinery to distant places to wage peace. He started with a tool he carried in his heart every day, the love of God. He walked out his door and hailed people he met on the way, called them to join him. The Peacemaking Committee is calling you to join us in the action that is required to make peace. You can be the one person who has joined a gun violence prevention rally nurturing a hope for a less violent future. You can be the one person who decided to learn about and understand the issues behind the conflict in Israel and Palestine. You can be the one person who advocated for fair and impartial redistricting in the election process. You can be, you are that one person. 
The Peace and Global Witness Offering will be connect, collected next Sunday, the 26th, as well as the following Sunday, October 3rd. 25% of the offering will go to support the efforts of our Peacemaking Committee, with the remainder shared by the Synod, the Presbytery, and the General Assembly for larger efforts. For example, programs that have supported the ending, ending the use of child soldiers in conflicts around the world funded primary schools for Muslim students that are run by very small Presbyterian churches in Baghdad, Basra, and Kirkuk, and planted a worshiping community in the Washington Correction Center for Women. Your donation will be magnified by joining with Presbyterians around the world to support this offering. Please plan to bring your contributions. Envelopes will be available in the pew or you may contribute through the website. If you have a concern for peace, if you have an idea that needs at least one person to make it work, join us on the Peacemaking Committee. All wars begin in the heart. Peace is the sign of the disarmed heart. What are the tools you carry in your heart? God's wandering spirit calls us to the hard road of discipleship and the challenging work of community. God has given us gifts for the common good, each of us individually and all of us collectively. This morning you are invited to give using the offering plates located in the narthex or to give online through the BMPC website. Beloved children, we were created for God's glory. Let us give God the glory that is due through the work of our hands and the fruit of our labor.
Let us pray. Generous God, we thank you for the abundance of your love, the many gifts of the Spirit, the humble service of Christ, and all your mighty and merciful acts. Use our actions, service, and gifts for the sake of the world, so that all may be blessed and that your kingdom might be shown in this place. Amen. Friends, go now into the world in peace and remember, God has shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? As you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all those you love, and all God's children everywhere this day and forevermore. Amen.